Good morning, church. How are we? Well, it's a joy for us to be here. Um, my wife, Alyssa, and I, I, we have a picture of the kids up there. I don't know. Um, there we are. Don't we look so full of joy and happiness? This was our first uh, day in Columbus. We were scoping things out. And don't let our appearances deceive you. We were so sick. <laughs> we were uh, just, yeah, the whole trip was just no sleep, um, all sorts of sickness. But we were there, and we were like, well, if Columbus is anything like this little park, maybe this is where God would have us. But God actually did. He spoke, and he confirmed this calling, and he sent us from Nashville to Columbus. We landed last March, and we've just enjoyed this, your city so much, and um, we're so happy to be here with you. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, would you open to uh, John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19? This morning, we're going to be taking a look at mission. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say mission, missions, missionaries, uh, living in mission. I, I use all these different terms, but I really mean the same thing, even though I think other people have different distinctions. But mission, we're going to talk about mission. Christianity is a missionary endeavor. God st stood back and looked at what had happened after Genesis 3, and he was not okay with what had happened. And it was not a plan B. This was his plan all along. He intended to come all along. He is a missionary God. And so there's something in this idea of being sent into a mess, into chaos, into disorder, and creating order and light and love and beauty. Uh, there's something about that for us to take up because our Lord Jesus is sending us into this world. So let's read God's word together. John 17, verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is God's word. Um, before we begin, I, this, this message has really been, the Lord's really been using this for, for me and my wife. Uh, we are in the, in the midst of a, a hard work. Uh, we're still trying to get our bearings, but we, we need joy in the midst of mission. And so my, my aim and my hope uh, is that God would lead us to his joy in the midst of what he's calling all of us to, not just my family, but Carl Road Baptist Church, living in mission together. So there, there's this amazing quote by Leslie Newbegin that I'm going to read. I'll put my phone away. 
he was a missionary, I believe, in India, but it's just, it's, it's my favorite quote about missions. He says, there has been a long tradition which sees the mission of the church primarily as obedience to a command. It has been customary to speak of the missionary mandate. This way of putting the matter is certainly not without justification, and yet it seems to me that it misses the point. It tends to make mission a burden rather than a joy, to make it part of the law rather than part of the gospel. If one looks at the New Testament evidence, one gets another impression. Mission begins with a kind of an explosion of joy. The news that the rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The mission of the church in the pages of the New Testament is more like the fallout from a vast explosion, a radioactive fallout, which is not lethal, but life-giving. Isn't that amazing? And we, if you read through the pages of Acts, it really is this amazing encounter where people whose lives were going one way met Jesus, and all their agenda, all their dreams for their life were put on hold. And a new dream emerged, and a new agenda took place. And they just started following this Messiah and it was hard, and it was scary, and it was dangerous, but somehow it was worth it. And I don't know about you, I, I think we, especially in these verses, I, I think of, I, Jesus is saying, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I'm sure a lot of the early disciples, and I'm sure we've all wondered, like, why are we still here? He has, he has so completed his mission that he said, it is finished. The resurrection has begun with our Lord Jesus, but then he goes back. He's promised to return, but he has left us here with his spirit for a reason, so that we could take up his mission. And it's hard. And I'm sure in the dark nights, we often wonder, why are we still here? This is so hard. This feels more like death than an explosion of joy. Um, he says, I mean, he, he kind of, he's, he's not oblivious to the difficulty of what we are facing. He, he says, um, I have given them your word, this is verse 14, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I can't tell you how many of the, uh, the Christians from the people we serve have received persecution just because they had one of these in their home back in East Africa. Um, many of the believers from this people group that we serve have been martyred because of the presence of a Bible, uh, so much so that it's much more common for the Christians to have it digitally on their phone than a physical book back in East Africa. Um, because the world hates them because the world is opposed to our God. But the news of this word that Jesus brought entered our lives and suddenly we, we received it with joy. He has taken us and he has he's now made us a people and we are his body. 
and he's making us like his son. So I have a statement. So the, the closer we get to Jesus, this is for anyone, anyone who wants to get close to Jesus, his mission goes from kind of this thing that we do sometimes from the periphery, and it moves more to the core of who we are as disciples and as a church. The closer we get to Jesus, his mission goes from the periphery to the center. We also discover mission for ourselves, and in this discovery we find our own joy, and we discover God's saving activity in this world. So what is the state of mission? I, I, I speak very subjectively just from my perspective and visiting different churches, and um, it is that it, it has become this thing that is a, one of the many things that we do as a church. It is overseen by a committee of passionate, devoted people who get it. Um, but the church as a broad, it's, it's, we're, we're a range, right? We're all on different places in terms of what mission is and where, where it belongs in our lives. Um, and that's okay. That's where we're at. I mean, I think we see um, just the church, broadly speaking, here in the West, mission has a lot of different places in our life. But is that okay? Um, so I, I guess in your view, I'm just asking you, what is the place of mission? Is it, has it become something for, for the professional, for the vocational missionary who specializes and has educated? Is that what mission is for? Are there causes that have crowded out our attention in our lives, competing different missions? Have they, have they caught us up? Jesus spells out our mission very clearly in the pages of Scripture. It's, it's love God, it's love our neighbor as ourselves, and it is to go and make disciples of all nations. He makes it very clear how central are these three things to each one of our lives? No matter whether you're young or old, you've been walking with Jesus for weeks and days or for many, many years. How central to our affections and our life and our agenda are these three things? Um, I, I, I love thinking about, there's, so there's two examples in, in our modern day that I think we all know from the news and, you know, we look throughout history and we see evident, you know, we see these same thing happens. A great cause interrupts the life of people. And they put their lives on hold to give attention to this great, important cause. Uh, the first th example that comes to mind is families in Ukraine living their lives, knowing that this threat looms, but the day that it actually happens... They have to flee. They have to gather their things. And an order goes out that says, any man who's able to stay and fight, we're calling you to do that. So they take their families. They get them to safety. They say goodbye. They kiss their wives, their children, their, their mom and their dad, their aunts, their uncles. And then they stay back with what they have to defend themselves because they have to. What's taking place is so wrong, they have to put their life on hold, even to put their physical life in harm's way to defend this great cause. 
Uh, we saw it on October 7th with Hamas invading Israel and massacring 1,200 Israelis in barbarous ways, um, kidnapping 200, I believe. Um, a war began, and the military put their life on hold. Everyone, in some way or form, are finding their role in this great cause. Life will never be the same after October 7th, much like September 11th was a marker in our history. So what is that great cause? I mean, our Christian mission is something like that. It's not exactly, we don't take up arms, but Jesus is praying in John 17. He's nearing the end of his life, and he's handing over this great, his life was marked by this mission because the missionary God sent the Son with a mission and he's handing that over to us, and he's praying that the Father would supply what we need for this journey. Uh, we all need mission, every one of us. We need to live in mission because we were created for mission. We were created for our little lives, our little story, to be a part of a bigger story, a cause greater than our own personal comfort and safety and fulfillment. We, we come alive seeing this in our movies. Uh, our young people are playing games that are, are mimicking joining this great cause. Many of you have fought in, in wars where you had to lay your life on the line for a great cause. We were created to live a life of, marked by sacrificial love for others. Um, the good news of this passage is that anyone who gets close to Jesus gets to share in this mission. He wraps us up in his mission. So uh, let's look at John 17, 8. This is the heart of missions. John 17, 18. Let's read it. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now you, you may look at that and say, I don't see the word missions in there, but we actually get the word uh, missions from the Latin word missio, and it means to send. And it's to send in order to show. Earlier in John 17, Jesus says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. So the Father sent the Son in order to show. Um, we see this the, the, in Second Corinthians, verse five, verse twenty, or chapter five, verse twenty. It says, "Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God." So, an ambassador is a missionary, and a missionary is a, an ambassador, and we are all ambassadors for Christ. He has He has saved us. He has blessed us in order to show the world what he is like. He has given you everything and so that you can use your life like an asset to invest for the joy of others. And the upside down reality is that investment, that laying of one's own preferences and desires down is the roadmap to greater joy 
and fulfillment in your life. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's an odd reality because, I, I mean, we, we will attest to that it's been hard. I feel like even coming into preparing this message, I've lost sight of this. I've been so wrapped up in what we need to do and where we need to go and how we get this started, and I've lost the joy a little bit. So, Father, even now, would you rejuvenate us with your joy? Um, it says, we are sent as Christ was sent. So how was Jesus sent into the world? It says, as you sent me, so I have sent them. Jesus is saying, as I, so you. As I, so you. So let's look at Jesus and how he was sent into the world. In what manner did he come in? John 1:14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Luke 24, 19, it says, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Deed and word. Both. Deed and word. Grace and truth. Mark 10, 16, he says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see grace and truth, word and deed, as Jesus was sent, so we are sent in the same way full of the same things by the power of the Spirit. Like sheep among wolves, wise as serpents, innocent as doves, doing good and making the gospel known, we are sent into the world as servants, laying down our rights in order to serve others' salvation. All right, so the second part of this is what I want us to see that mission leads us to joy. Uh, in John seventeen thirteen. Jesus prays, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. His joy fulfilled in ourselves. Don't we want that? Doesn't that sound exciting? I don't know if I've tasted that, but I want more of it. What makes the uh, the sovereign ruler of the universe full of joy? Well, I want a taste of that. That sounds exciting and life-giving and thrilling, does it not? So let's ask, what is this joy? Um, I think we are all thinking of Hebrews 12 too. It says this amazing thing. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So as Jesus, the Son of God, faces the prospect that the Father laid out before him because this was the plan that the Father had from the beginning, I want you to go and live the life they should have lived, but didn't. I want you to go and die the death that they should have died, but, but don't. The prospect of that mission filled him with joy 
at the thought of obeying it, enduring all that would come in its way. So, so Jesus' mission was to take on the burden and the responsibility of the world that God wanted to save. He says, I'm going to take this on myself. He knew that it would, mean, it would mean taking on their condemnation, our condemnation, our punishment, the torture due us because of our sins, into himself on the cross. And yet he saw beyond that death, beyond that great feat of physical and spiritual and emotional suffering, joy. Beyond that suffering, he saw an eternal weight of glory it was joy. Um, and I'm thinking about this too because it often, our lives and our labor often feels like death. Um, and so I keep thinking, okay, but tangibly, how, what does this joy look like when it's just not going well? The frustrations, everything's fighting against us, the whole spiritual realm of the enemy is doing all they can to thwart and steal and kill and destroy. We know that people can raise up and they can do all sorts of things to us physically. What does that look like in the midst of all that? Well, I think Jesus is, it's, it's, an, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense, and it's something that even as we're going through it, I don't know if we can put words to it, but he sets this joy before us this morning saying, oh, that my joy would be fulfilled in you. He's really inviting us to, to what Mark eight thirty four and 35 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So somehow, in giving ourselves away, investing ourselves for others, we receive something greater. Joy to come, and Jesus even said it's better to give than to receive. The last shall be first. It's, it's an upside down reality and he's just really saying, just follow me. Let's just try it. Let's just go for it. Um, practically, I think this really means making ourselves vulnerable. I, I think about this every time I step foot into a place where I'm trying to engage people who are not like me. I just feel exposed and inadequate and vulnerable. And I think that's what he's inviting us into because to bring people into our lives, we have to be vulnerable. To have people at our table, to going to them, trying to figure out what they need, we need to be made vulnerable. Somehow our, our sacrifice is tolerable when our minds are set on our great cause. A cause worth living for and a cause even worth dying for. And that's what we were created for. Um, we, we saw this in India. We were, uh, I was on a short-term trip, and we were with a, a group of pastors in this little church, and they were very timid. It, it's against the law to share the gospel in their part of India. 
And there was just all this fear of persecution. And we were, you know, the local leaders who got the vision, were trying to embolden them and encourage them that this will be worth it. All of us Americans had traveled all this way. And so we, I remember at the beginning, everyone was very timid and like, I don't know how this is going to go. And we went two by two to these different houses in these villages and we, we shared a meal and we uh, got to share our testimony and then share a, just a brief presentation of the gospel from creation to, the, to Christ. And there was this overwhelming receptivity to the gospel, so much so that I'd never experienced anything like it in the U.S. And um, anyway, so it's just we, what we experienced there, we would pray for anyone who had any ailments and I, I pray for people here, and often God doesn't heal them, but there, for whatever reason, God was healing and showing signs, attesting to the truth of the gospel, and I couldn't explain it. And we came back after that first day, and we just, we couldn't do anything but sing. So we all were just in pews like this, and we just started singing, and we had probably the most joyous worship service I've ever experienced. And there, there's, so there's a connection. I think mission leads us into joy um, because this is what God's calling us into. It, it was just, it's just something to it. So if, we, if we're joyless and we're lacking that life to our faith, um, maybe it's, let's look at where, what place does mission have in our, in our lives right now? What are some things we could step into in faith and ask God, meet us there with joy? How can I give myself away? Um, I want to just draw out one, one great destroyer of mission. And it's something that um, is, is something of the, the air that we breathe in our culture. And it's this idea that... Um, that there's no greater cause than living for your own personal fulfillment and happiness. It just destroys mission. It destroys, and it's something that latches on to us that we don't even realize it. It's, we're always looking towards the next thing or the next season of life, trying to get, to that, get ahead in life or ahead in our career, getting past the, the painful part of parenting or um, mission just does not thrive when that is our, our MO. But if there is a truth that is higher than what we want and prefer and desire, then that truth is worth laying down our own desires and preferences in pursuit of a great cause. Joy is the result of living in God's mission to make disciples of all nations. And joylessness is the fruit of living for our own little small kingdoms of personal preference and personal causes and, and missions. Um, and then I, I'd like to land this plane just thinking about um, there's one thing that Jesus is praying for, and it's sandwiched between verse 18, let's read it, and verse uh Verse 17 and verse 19. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. He's praying for holiness. Um, this last point is that holiness is the key to effective mission. 
It's the requirement for mission. He's, and he's praying for us that it would happen. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Set them apart for this great endeavor through your word. Um, it's, it's fascinating that Jesus doesn't give them a how-to manual. Wouldn't that be nice if he had given us, here's how to start a church. Here's how to start a movement. Here's how to start a revival. No. <laughs> he left them with his word and this amazing prayer, and he says, sanctify them, set them apart. This word sanctify is kind of in the Old Testament where it's prepare the animal for the sacrifice. Jesus was saying, I'm consecrating myself for the cross, which will lead to your own sanctification. So the question is, how is our personal holiness? I, I think the painful reality is, I, and this has been very convicting for me, is like this is something where I think we need more attention to. What does Northland need more than our words and even our presence is our holy presence, our presence where we are full of the Holy Spirit, we are full of God's word, so much so that we're willing to lay down our preferences and the parts of our lives where we're just stuck in the same old habitual sins. He wants us to draw near to him get our lives in order, and then send us out into Northland full of all the things he was full of. Um, so he prays for our personal holiness. We were saved in order to be holy, to be made whole. And this is a good thing. This is what we, you know, we've, our, our neighborhoods are full of brokenness. Although I, even the, the fancy neighborhoods, the rundown neighborhoods, there's brokenness, loneliness. And, and they're looking at us and asking, what do we have that they don't? And if it's not our own personal joy and wholeness in Christ through the gospel, by the Spirit, we really don't have anything much to offer them. Um, Jesus says, Father, make them holy. Change them to become more and more like me. Make them more gentle. Make them quick to listen, slow to speak. Make them kind, yet compassionate. Bold, yet compassionate. Generous. Make them willing to bear pain and discomfort, burden and responsibility for the sake of others. So where are the, where are the areas in our life where we need God to create order from our own disorder. It's in each one of us. It's in me. Let's bring these areas to him personally in this new year. Say, Lord, would you change me in these specific areas? Grab a brother or a sister and let's walk in the light together and say, these are the areas where I'm just, I'm not living up to Jesus' standards. This doesn't save us, no. But I think some, oftentimes we've lost sight that who needs our personal holiness more than our neighbor? Out, you know what flows out of personal holiness? The good news. If it's real personal holiness. Think about the, last, the first holy person you met in your story. I mean, we all, all our stories are different, but I bet each one of us can remember the first person. For me, it was Danny Newman 
and Drew Smith my freshman year of college, there was something different about these men. There was a joyousness to them. There was a, and a, like they were living as if this were true, and that was strange to me. They were giving of their time in ways that I just couldn't understand. Their personal holiness is something I couldn't dismiss with the arguments against Christianity. Um, it's, what our, it's what Northland needs, is your own lives offered up to the Lord and unto them. So, in conclusion, and so much of that too is wrapped up in how, how much we're wrapped up in what our culture is wrapped up in is pursuing our own personal fulfillment and happiness, living for our own dreams and, and giving a part of our lives to Jesus and his mission instead of the whole thing. Um, all right, in conclusion, Jesus is sending us into the world, into Northland. He brings us in to send us out. He goes with us by the Spirit. And the way we live truly matters to our neighbors who are far from God. Remember that the closer we get to Jesus, the more his mission goes from the periphery to the center and the core of who we are as disciples and the church. And remember that as we discover mission for ourselves, we find our own joy in God's saving activity in our world as we take up our cross, deny ourselves, invest ourselves like an asset that can bear fruit and multiply to the nations. And also remember that this is Jesus' prayer for you. The prayers of a righteous man are powerful. There is none more righteous than Jesus. And Jesus is asking the Father, he's saying, give them my joy. Fulfill it in their lives so we can bank on his joy being fulfilled in us. He's praying for his protection over our lives from the evil one in the midst of all the hatred, all the opposition, that will be answered. We can bank on it. He will protect us from the evil one if we seek refuge in him. And he's asking the Father to sanctify us in the truth, to set us apart, to consecrate us for a holy purpose a cause greater than our own lives, a cause worth living for, a cause worth dying for, his mission. So friends, would you join me? Let's follow Jesus into this new year for the sake of our own joy and for the sake of our neighbors here in Northland. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for this time. We thank you for this body. We thank you for Carl Road Baptist Church. We thank you for these walls Oh, the stories that you would tell of all that you've done in the life and history of this congregation. But Lord, we know you are not done. They're entering a new season. Lord, we ask you to be with them as they seek you in that. Set their eyes upon you, the author and perfecter. Lord, we ask you to be with them and and. Just give them joy as they follow you into this new chapter, this new season, for the sake of their neighborhood, 
Lord, we thank you for all the nations you have brought to this part of Columbus, and we ask that your gospel would go forth and bear fruit, and your name would be great among people who are in darkness. Uh, We love you. We thank you for loving us first. We pray all this in Jesus' great name. Amen.